0: God, and you perform your miracles every day. It's in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. You can bring the lights up. Amen. Look at y'all. Y'all look good. <laughs> uh, today, uh, I have been tasked by, by pastor in this year of reformation. I don't know why I kept writing transformation instead of reformation. I, I kept writing, but in this year of reformation, pastor has somehow well, that's the, that's God, man. That's God, man. Every week, these messages have like been like so relevant. Now she she wrote these sermons. Well, except for this one, you know. So, you don't blame don't blame her if this is trash. <laughs> so, she she wrote all these sermons like it before in the beginning of the year. Or was it before the year? And I mean. Like, it's amazing because, like, every week, these, these things are, like, speaking to our spirit. Yeah. I mean, and they're just relevant to the things that are going on in our life at the time. Um, I was happy to preach this because uh, the message of redemption, number one, it's one a preacher can't get wrong. You got to be right when you pre- You got to be on point when you preach this. But it's one of those things where I'm so thankful for what God did in me. And I'm an example of uh, a person who has been reformed by the message of redemption. So I want to read something for you. Now, first of all, before we get started, I'm going to tell you, this is a lot of scripture. This is a message that could probably be preached for the, entire, uh, the entirety of a month. So I'm going to cover a lot of scripture. But the ones that I want you to actually read, I'll ask you to go to. So I'll quote some, so you're going to need a pen and paper if you want to remember these to write some of these scriptures down, because I'm going to kind of move through them relatively quick. I'll read them out to you, but uh, you might want to write these down. But I want to read something very interesting to you uh, to to start off. I want to tell you a story about a father. Back in the days of the Great Depression, a Missouri man named John, John Griffith, was the controller of a Great railroad drawbridge across the Mississippi River. Now one day in the summer of 1937 he decided to take his eight-year-old son Greg with him to work. At noon, John Griffith put the bridge up to allow ships to pass, you know, on the observation deck with his son to eat lunch. Time passed quickly. Suddenly, He was startled by the shrieking of a train whistle in the distance. He quickly looked at his watch and noticed it was 107. The Memphis Express with 400 people on board was roaring toward that raised bridge. He leaped from the observation deck, ran back to the control tower. Just before throwing the master lever, he glanced down for any ships below. There, a sight caught his eye that caused his heart to leap poundingly into his throat. Greg had slipped, his son Greg, had slipped from the observation deck and had fallen into the massive gears that operate the bridge. His leg was caught in the cogs of the two main gears. Desperately, John's mind whirled to devise a rescue plan. But as soon as he thought of a possibility, he knew there was no way it could be done. Again, with alarming closeness, the train whistle shrieked in the air. He could hear the clicking of the locomotive wheels over the tracks. That was his son down there. Yet there were 400 passengers on that train. John knew what he had to do. So he buried his head in his left arm. He pushed the master switch forward the great massive bridge lowered into place just as the Memphis Express began to roar across the river. When John lifted, when John Griffith lifted his head with his face smeared with tears, he looked into the passing windows of that train. There was businessmen casually reading the afternoon papers finely dressed ladies in the dining car, sipping coffee. Children pushing long spoons into their dishes of ice cream. No one looked at the control house, and no one looked at the gearbox. With wrenching agony, John cried out at that steel train, I sacrificed my son for you people. Don't you care? The train rushed by. But nobody heard the Father's words, which recalled Lamentations chapter 1, verse 2, which says, Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Is it nothing to you? It's not unusual with the hustle and bustle of everyday life. You know, to forget to slow down and appreciate, you know, just how fortunate we are. I know we all have our struggles, and and getting from yesterday to today can seem like an Olympic event. I understand, I, I can't absolve myself of being just like those people on that train. I've been just, I've been right there with them, not, you know, not paying attention to some of the things that have been provided for me. But sometimes the opportunity to see life from another person's perspective can often change, oftentimes change our thinking about our own life and situations. You know, when you start looking at, sometimes when you see things from the perspective of another person, you start to appreciate where you really are. That woe is me mentality, you know, now all of a sudden things don't seem as bad. For example, how perspective can change how we look at some things. The knowledge of what our own parents or grandparents had to sacrifice in order that we would have what we need. And I, and I don't say always because everybody's, you know, relationship with their grandparents and all that, ain't that, you know, it ain't always good. But if you had that good relationship and you've seen them sacrifice and work hard, it can turn into deep gratitude and love for their commitment to you. Last week, Minister Monifa, you did a great job. Great job. Minister Monifa did a great job in her message of uh, reformation by sanctification. She took us all the way back to the beginning (laughs) of everything. Took us back to the beginning to the Garden of Eden where it all started. Now, this is going to sound strange, but uh, this week, I want to go back a bit further. (laughs) I want to go back before the Garden of Eden. I want us to see the message of redemption from the Father's point of view. So, what we know has been established, just from last week's message, and what we know from scriptures, like I told you, I'm, I'm getting ready to start reading, rolling them off. <laughs> From Romans chapter 5, verse 12. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Romans chapter 5, verse 15 says, But the gift is not like the trespass. Verse 17 says, for if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign through the one man, Jesus Christ? We're talking about redemption. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of, of your flesh, God made you alive in with Christ. I love when you, I hear that, when you were dead in your sins. You know, you always hear these preachers talk about, well, you, you was out there, you know, floating in the sea of sin, and God threw you a lifeline, and you grabbed it, and he reeled you in. And Man, you throw it. A dead man ain't grabbing nothing. Dead? How many dead folks you see moving and trying to reach and grab for stuff? And if y'all seen a dead man, you'd run. You know... <laughs> Yeah, but the the scripture says in verse uh, verse 14 of of Colossians also said, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to a cross, to the cross. So this charge of legal indebtedness is what the scripture says in the uh, NIV. The scriptures point out here the debt that we could not pay. Legal indebtedness. This is a debt that we could not pay, but Christ paid for us. In order for us to be reconciled to God, the penalty for violating the supreme, holy, and just God's command had to be paid. This is why man was so desperately in need of redemption. Now, let's define redemption. What is redemption? People hear that word. You know, you think, of, most of the time we hear it, we think about coupons, you know, something like that. I'm yeah, telling the truth, y'all know. <laughs> so, the word redemption, although it's a broad term, but redemption means to ransom, to deliver, to redeem. Now, I'll give you a theological definition. Redemption is an act of God by which he himself pays as a ransom the price for human sin that has outraged his holiness. I'll read it again. Redemption is an act of God by which he himself pays as a ransom the price for human sin that has outraged his holiness. Now, simply put, it's basically the payment of a price. Now, there are two words. I don't like to get too deep with, uh, you know, all the, the, the Greek and all this kind of stuff. But they, the, these two words, uh, because we're going to be looking at one of them definitely in Ephesians, I want to define the two. There are two words in the New Testament used in Greek language for the word redemption. The one is agorazo, okay? Don't hope, I, I may have said it. <laughs> I, may, I, may, I may have messed up a bit, but agorazo the best I could do. Sometimes you have the word ex-agorazo, and the part, that's the part of the word It simply means marketplace. What ex-agorazo means is to buy out of the marketplace, to purchase something, to buy something, to make it yours. But there is another word, the second word, and it may be even a stronger word, and that is the word, that is used in the book of Ephesians, where we'll be reading shortly, the word is Lutrial. Lutrial, Also translated into the word apolotrosis. And that's the one that they use mostly. Which we will, that translates into redemption. Now that means, that word, lutriol, also translated apolotrosis, that means to pay a price to free somebody from bondage. Okay, so look at it this way. In those days, you know, slaves were bought and sold freely. And people could actually say they, you know, they had a bad run of luck. You know, COVID crisis, you know, I don't know, we call them, you know, if they had a bad run. And they fell upon hard times. They could actually sell themselves into slavery, into servitude, you know, as payment to try to pay off their, their debts. So... It was a common thing. They did it just like they bought and sold animals. But from time to time, you know, you might want to purchase a slave for the purpose, like it might be a friend of yours, a neighbor, somebody that you know that fell on hard times. And you got money, they trying to work this wage off. You might want to go and buy that slave to set that person free. Let's say someone you thought very highly of, someone you loved dearly, someone that you cared was a slave, you could go to that owner of that slave and say, hey, look, I'll give you X amount of dollars for this slave. You purchased the slave. You set him free, saying to the slave, I just purchased your freedom. You're no longer a slave. Go. Go free. That's this word, or apolitosis. That's what that word means. To buy somebody to set them free. In Christ, we have the purchase which sets us free. So redemption then is deliverance by the payment of a price. Now, I want you to hang on to that. Now, let me tell you something further. Give you a little more theology. Everyone who comes into the world is a captive. Everybody. The Bible says... We are all we are slaves, and no man is free in his sinful state. Now, question: To who are they slaves? Who is their captor? You don't have to answer this. (laughs) Who is the captor of every man? Well, let me tell you what John chapter eight verse thirty-four. You can write that down. John chapter eight verse thirty-four says, "Men are slaves to sin." Romans chapter six. Verse 17 says men are servants to sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Y'all can see I took a long walk through Romans. Men are sold under sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 21 says we are in bondage to corruption. So what then is the captor of men? It's sin. Now, sin Demands a price to be paid to release his victim. Now, what is the price? The price or the wages of sin is death. See, y'all sharp. We got preachers sitting all around here. So, in order to purchase sinners from the grasp of the sin, there must be death. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, which is simply a term for death, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The Old Testament says, the soul that sins shall die. The price of sin is death. But Jesus redeemed us. He paid the price of sin to free the slave and set him free. That's the whole point of redemption. Now in 1 Timothy, Paul speaks of Christ. He says, this 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. We're not reading there. I'm just giving you the the scripture. Paul speaks of Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God in your bodies. This is an important message. We're talking about reformation by redemption. If you hear this today, by way of the Spirit, this is going to reshape the way you think, not only about yourself, but your relationship with God. Amen. He says you were bought with a price, therefore, honor God in your bodies. Revelations chapter 5, verse 9, says this about Christ. And they sang, that's Revelations chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. So there's no doubt that Christ is our Redeemer, according to sacred scripture. And those scriptures are also clear that he has accomplished his mission. Without a doubt, he's our savior. Yeah. Now, most of us, here's the rub, okay? I'll stick, let me stick to the script because I can talk about this for a long time. Most of us have absolutely no problem wrapping our minds around the fact that Jesus loves us that he died for us and has ascended and is our mediator between us and God. Y'all heard me get up here and preach about God loves you, God loves you. We've heard so much that Jesus loves us. I mean, from the time we was kids. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus, love me. <laughs> Look at y'all. Everybody, in, everybody in here know that song, man. I mean, this this has been we've been hearing this since we were children, man. So I mean, so we don't have a real hard time wrapping our mind around that. But from I mean, even from children, we've heard that as adults. You know, every preacher, man, you know, we hear preachers telling us all the time, you know, God loves you. The Lord loves you. The Lord is with you. I mean, I heard that for years and didn't hear it. No, seriously. I mean, I heard it, but I didn't hear it. Now, to some saints, it's just, I mean, it's, it, to some saints, it's just something they hear, but they never internalize. And I know because I was that person. I was that person. I heard it, and I didn't internalize it. I'm telling you today, man, and this ain't part of the script. I'm just telling you from my experience. Um, nobody can make, the Holy Spirit has to do the work in your heart to, to really illuminate you to that truth that God loves you. Now, I'm praying today that, this, that the, the God does a work in you that you really understand how much he cares for you. So, I know, as I said, you know, I, I've been there where people don't internalize it. I didn't. And then too often, many saints, believers, Christians, we've looked at the Father, God the Father. I was talking about this in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. We look at God the Father as judgmental, you know, or, you know, someone that's just watching and waiting for you to make a mistake so he can bring the wrath of judgment down at a moment's notice. You know, we look at Jesus, we say, I love him, he's a good one. But the God, the Father, you know, oh, he's he going to get me. I, my prayer today is, like I said, after hearing this message of redemption, you'll understand that redemption, yeah, it's definitely a work of the Holy Trinity. All of them are involved. But it was because of the Father's deep love for you that he sent the Son. This is why he came. He sent the son to save us, to redeem us, and reconcile us back to himself. Now turn with me to uh, the book of John, chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 37 through 40. That's John, chapter 6. We're actually going to turn there and read this one. When you there say amen, and in verse thirty-seven, Jesus talking. How I know? It's in red. <laughs> it's not red in my Bible, but it, it's in red in most Bible. that the red letter edition. And the scripture says, all those say all. all. All those. Now remember, this is Jesus. He said, all those that who gives him. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive them away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and raise him up at the last day. Now, when you hear this, I don't I don't want you to get your, your theological um, hunches up, you know, because when some people hear this, the first thing they start thinking about is some kind of Calvinistic viewpoint you're trying to preach here or some Arminianism or some moderate Calvinistic thing, you know. And that's not the, that's not the first thing when uh, the apostles, like, like Paul, when he wrote about how much God loved him and that God loved him enough to give him to Jesus as a gift from him. That's how much, This is the mystery that the angels wanted to look into. God loves you, and we're going to get into it. We're going to get into it, but let's look at Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. I want you to see his response, because your immediate response shouldn't be, uh, we're, talking, we're, talking about armyism, we're talking about this, that, or third. Let's look at what the apostles had to say about it. Romans chapter 11, and this is verse 33. He said, He starts that verse off. He says, I don't know what edition you got, but it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul's response to the overwhelming thought of the unfathomable love of God for him that the his, thing, his immediate thought that the triune God who in the eternity past chose you, me, us in Christ, gave us to Christ that he might redeem us, reconcile us, and restore us to himself. Paul's response to this was resounding praise. In, the, in my Bible, they call it doxology. Resounding praise to the Father. If the thought of the triune God the omnipotent Lord of everything, setting his love and affection on you in eternity past and sending his son as a perfectly obedient servant to die in your stead for your sake, pay off the debt you could not pay, that you may live and be with him forever. If that doesn't move your heart to heart-stopping doxology and resounding praise, And you don't understand what you have. Oh, you don't know about the goodness of God. Gonna learn today. (laughs) If you are going to understand the life and ministry of Jesus Christ at all, you must first, you gotta see him as the perfect, obedient, servant, Son, Jesus said, I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. We see him at the time of his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, 16, when the heavens opened up and the spirit descended upon him like a dove and the voice of the father says, this is my beloved son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Then again, as you've heard Pastor preach it right here in previous sermons about on the Mount of Transfiguration, as the glimpse of the glory of Christ bursting through, apostles falling on their face. We hear the voice of the Father again saying, this is my beloved son, whom I love. Listen to him. Jesus came into the world as a perfect, obedient servant, son. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says that he became, is Philippians 2, 8 says that he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Now let's let's take a closer look at God's plan of redemption. Because this plan of redemption, which we're gonna see here in scripture. This plan of redemption starts in eternity, ends in eternity, in eternity, but it sweeps through time. All right, it's, it's acted out in time, but it's from eternity to eternity sweeping through time. All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, verse verses 3 through 8, and then we're going to skip from 11 to, 11 to 11. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Verse 3 says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, say every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Where's it at? In Christ. in Christ. For he chose us in him. Now, if you you got a highlighter or a pencil or pen, I want you to underline with all of the us, we, and in him. So he said he chose us in him. Who do you think that him's about? Christ. For he chose us in him when, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Listen to this: in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, with the pleasure, with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, in him. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that He lavished on us. He didn't just like give us a little bit; He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In verse eleven, it says, "In Him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him." who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He's telling you why you do it. You know, people, people say, well, did God do it because I look so good? Did God do it because I'm just so, so smart? Did, did God do it because I'm just the sharpest pencil in the box? No. He tells you that he, he did it, everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, if just in case there was any doubt, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked with him, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You hear me? God's possession. To the praise of his glory. Jesus to the sovereign purpose of the Father in eternity past. To seek, save, reconcile, and restore us back to himself through the atoning sacrifice of Christ at Calvary. There's a a meaning to that cross. Redemption, listen to me, because you'll hear people say, well, you know, Adam and Eve slipped up and, you know, God had to, you know, back up and do a plan B. This redemption was never a plan B. It was never some haphazard plan that was put together at a moment's notice in the garden. When our thinking is reformed by our appreciation of, but what the Father has always planned for us, you know what it does? It restores your hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hal Lindsey, a writer, you've heard this saying before, but Hal Lindsey was a gentleman that wrote it. He said, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air. That long? But only one second without hope. Hope is vital. Hope is crucial, especially to a believer. We were in the world, us as believers, we were in this world without hope. And we have to ask ourselves as believers, what is the foundation of our hope? What's grounding you? All of our hope, lies outside of ourselves. I, I could step away from the script for a minute and talk about this. You know, when I was facilitating the, the, the men's groups uh, for, for drug abuse and all this kind of stuff, when, when we were facilitating those groups, the first step to really getting free was to admit you were powerless to do anything about your situation. You know, if you had the power to free yourself, you would have did it. And you recognize that it's going to take something, a power, from outside of you to empower you to get through what it is you're trying to get through. People look at um, addicts, people with addictions, and and they, they act like that's some special case. But the same could be said of all of us. To overcome any sin, I don't care if it's, if it's, if it's drug addiction, sex addiction, alcoholic addiction, I don't know, game addiction. You know, folks be on these games like, like crazy and be addicted to it. I don't care what kind of sin it is. To overcome any sin, we need power. Like in Latin, they say extra nos. That means from outside ourselves. We were in the world without help and without hope. There is nothing in us that could have possibly paid the debt incurred when Adam fell so tragically in the Garden of Eden. None of us qualified because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Christ came in our place for our sake as the perfect atoning sacrifice, satisfying the justice demanded of a holy God. Yeah, yeah. So, what is the grounds of your hope? Is it in the fact that you are a loyal member of Renew? Oh, or it, 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 is it is it based on the fact maybe that you you're 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 a faithful tither? Oh, or maybe it's because you know you're so deep and you believe the inerrant Word. I hope you do believe the inerrant word. I really do. But Christ alone is the basis and the foundation of all our hope. I love that hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. So if it's if it's if your hope is built on anything other than that, You're building it on sinking sand. Listen. It was the Father who sent you the greatest gift you will ever receive. Without his sovereign, electing love, there wouldn't be no salvation. But it's not sovereign, electing love that saves you. It's Jesus Christ who is the embodiment a sovereign electing love who has saved you. He is our redeemer. He is our savior. He has come into this. Now, this is important because I had to, this hit me and it just hit different. He came into the world not to win the love of the father for us, but as a gift of the father to us. That's a different way of thinking about it because, see, you don't you got to understand if the Scripture says that he chose you in Christ in eternity, God is not a being that he's, he's immutable. You know what the word immutable means? It means he doesn't change. And, and, and when you start thinking about his attributes, you know, how he's omniscient and all these, he's perfect in all of those and unchanging in them. They said he loves you and he gave you to his son before he said, let there be light. Before there was a garden of Eden, there was love for you. You hear me? When you were born, you don't really, you don't recognize it. When you were born, you were born into the bed of love. When When you were birthed into this earth, his love was already waiting on you. I want you to understand what happened with what, what Christ, the price he paid and why he paid it. The father sent him because he loved you so much. Many believers, we look at the cross and we think that Jesus' mission was to win the affection or the love of the father for us. And we miss the fact that Jesus came as a gift of the father's love to us. And in the covenant of redemption, in eternity, It was the love of the Father that sent forth the Son to seek and to save the lost, to redeem us, restore us to himself, chosen in Christ. Election is in Christ, not apart from him. The Father gave to the Son a people that Jesus said, I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise them up in the last day." and all that he has given to me will come to me. Now listen, it was years ago, I've quoted this before, it was years ago, I was listening to a, a Ligonier ministry conference, and I heard a quote that struck me, and I meditated on that quote for a while. I've shared it here before, the words quoted were from a man named Gerhardus Voss, it's spelled with a G, Gerhardus Voss. And Voss said, the best proof that God will never cease to love us lies in the fact that he never began. You hear this? He said the best proof that God will never cease to love us was lies in the fact that he never began. He said, you know, I, I played those words around. I'll let that roll around in my head for a minute. And Voss was simply commenting on Jeremiah 31.3. In Jeremiah, he says, That God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I found that amazing. Theologically, you know, you think you know. Experientially, you know, the, the proof, the proof that he will never stop loving me lies in the fact that he never began because as we just talked about in times eternal, he loved me. And gave me to his son, Jesus Christ, who came in the fullness of time to redeem me, justify me, and eternally reconcile me to God. It was actually the father who planned our salvation. It was the son who purchased it. And the Holy Spirit who applies our, or seals our salvation. And that's according to Ephesians 1.13. Y'all remember when we seen it? It's okay, you've been marked. So I'll say that again. It's it's actually the Father who planned our salvation, the Son who purchased it, and the Holy Spirit who applies or seals our salvation. That is why throughout the ages of eternity, we will be asking, why, oh God, such love for me? That's the thing. You know, Pastor talked about it when she got up here and talked about clapping your hands. You don't know what these hands have done. You know, and and I look at my life and I think about, you know, not everybody's going to make it to heaven. I shouldn't be one of those ones to make it. I mean, I'm not proud of how I lived when I was young, the evil I've done, the wrong I did, people. And one day, the Lord just arrested me. The words of the gospel all of a sudden became clear in my heart. And the Lord changed my life forever. I can't take, I can't take any credit for that. But it amazes me. Just like the apostle John, he says, Behold. And this is in first John chapter 3, verse 1. He says that word, behold, as if in amazement. That word, behold, is like a flash of light. It means stop, look, listen. He said, Behold. What manner of love is this? That we should be called the children of God. He was like, he's calling me a child of God. A person who doesn't even deserve it. And and that is what we are. Even the apostle was astonished by the love God has showed us all. Now, I want to read. I want to read something, and I'm going. I'm wrapping up. I want to read something uh, that I, I thought was. I thought it was. It, it, it was immaculate. It was written by a preacher named uh, Chuck Swindoll. If you allow me a moment, y'all know I love his stuff. <laughs> I do. I love his stuff. But I want you to hear. This particular. Listen to this. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the the last analysis. He said, what matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, that he knows me. I am graven Listen to what he says about you. I am graven on the palms of God's hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love is utterly realistic. Based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. He knows how terrible I am. But all of it is all of every point, every point of on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me. It don't matter what he finds out now. He knew me before the foundation of the world. There is nothing about me that surprises God. Nothing about me surprises him. And the only thing I contribute to my salvation is the sin part. Thank you, Lord God, for your love. That's, that's the truth. That's the truth. He did, it, he did it all. He did the rest. Let me continue reading. He said nothing, he said based, he said realistic based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. So that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. There is nothing about you that is going to quench God's determination to bless you. You looking for a blessing? You continue to seek a blessing? you always looking for a blessing? Take a step back and look at the fact. You already are. You have been. He has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's purchased your life from destruction. He has redeemed you. He always loved you. He has loved you in the past. He loves you now. He'll love you in the future. There is nothing you can do to stop him from loving you. You've heard it said before, I love you and ain't nothing you can do about it. He loves you and ain't nothing you can do about it. I want you to hear this today. Christ, our Lord, is our redeemer. And then someone loves you deeply, even if it was a human being that loved you that much it would change the way you look at them. You would treat them different. You wouldn't do things to violate them. You wouldn't do things to anger them. All of that should pale in comparison for your love for somebody that's going to be spending eternity with you, that has saved you, rescued you. You will really understand one second in the eternity the measure of the gift that you've been given. And it's precious, it's really precious. And I'm gonna end there.